Byron. I'm the hub director here at Greenhouse. Been here for about six months or so. So again, I appreciate this time to open up the word of God as we're in a series about the mothers of faith. And so one of the things we recognize is that this is my first time to minister to you from the stage at Greenhouse. And so anytime you do something for the first time, there's potentially a bit of nervousness that comes with it. You know, there's potentially maybe some mistakes that you might make. Uh, maybe I tell a joke that's not funny, right? But if I do, one of the things I want you to do, I want you to hold up one finger, hold up your index finger, put it up, and everybody say, first time. First time. First time. So that gives me at least a little grace for jokes that are not funny. I have a few members of our uh, a few members of our microchurch, my microchurch sitting up here at front, my wife and mother-in-law right up here. And so sometimes I might just focus on them because I'm used to talking to them all the time. And if I do that, what I want you to do is hold up your finger. First time, first time, right? It's my first time, but I thank you for the grace. Thank you, Pastor Mike and the rest of our team for this opportunity. I'm excited to be here before you and we're ready for a great message. We're going to read starting again in Matthew chapter 1, where we started last week, Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, last week, Pastor Mike masterfully covered Tamar as a mother of faith or a mother of Jesus, one of the women mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. And one of the outcomes or points from that message was that no matter how big the mess no matter how twisted the story, there's nothing stronger than the grace of God. Amen. And so one of the things we, we, we see is that when women are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, we know the genealogy is important, right? Because again, from Abraham to now our Savior, it shows us all the people involved in getting him here. And there's something significant to all of their stories. At the same time, for a woman to be mentioned in the genealogy means it's extremely important that we look into this woman's life because it was extremely rare to do so, especially in those days. And so today we're going to be talking about Rahab, a mother of faith. Rahab is a mother of faith. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And if we continue to read, we see Jesus. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word today. I thank you that you can speak to me, that you can speak through me, your perfect word and your will for your people today. And I thank you that all hearts and minds, whether here, whether online, that are listening today, are open and ready to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have your seat. So one of the things I get to do, if it's my first time preaching, I get to bring a prop. And the prop that I brought is a can of Mountain Dew. So this can is not for me to drink because this can is really special to me. It means something to me because about a week ago we were on our staff retreat as a church and one thing that we get to do at staff retreat is that we get to have lots of competitive games. We know that staff retreat is a time for us as a staff here at Greenhouse to connect, to worship, to uh, get into the word of God, to share everything and, and all those things. But it's also a time where we get to have fun. So whether it was volleyball, um, cornhole, we played a game called Scud around the pool table that I never played before but was very fun. But one of the things that my staff or my coworkers learned about me is that I like to talk a lot of smack, right? I talk a lot of smack. No matter what the game is, I am going to punt out the obvious sometimes. I am going to call you by childhood nicknames. I am going to do whatever I can to get you out of your game and hype up my team. So at the end of this uh, series of days, Pastor Mike awarded me with the Talking Smack Award, the Hype Man Award, and that's this can of Mountain Dew. So if you do find this can, don't drink it. It has my name at the bottom. This is my trophy for talking some really good smack during staff retreat. So I'll put that here. But with that, we've all heard of people that have talked smack or talked trash and have not been able to back those things up. 
whether it's a professional athlete, whether it's a, you know, kids competing in a competition, no matter what kind. Every time we hear somebody talking smack, you know, we, number one, we look at them to back up the things that they say. But when they don't, right, when they don't, us or those that are observe the smack talker, we lose confidence in them. But not only that, I believe when the smack talker doesn't back it up, they lose confidence in themselves, right? Because they're saying and declaring things in the earth that they're going to do that they cannot follow through with. And so today, as we talk about Rahab, one of the you know, primary points about Rahab we'll see is that Rahab, as a mother of faith, she believed... Right? She talked the talk and she walked the walk. And that's how we want to be as believers. The things that we say, the things that we want to produce, the things that we pray about, that's what we want to see come to pass. Because if anybody is going to know that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, we know the Bible says that they, we are known by the way that we love one another. So love is, of course, the foundation of being a Christian, being a believer. But then the second aspect of that, you know, we know that faith works by love. So the icing on the cake is that we can begin to walk in faith. We can begin to pray about things in this earth, and God works supernaturally, orchestrate things supernaturally on our behalf to get them done. Amen? And so part of what we have as believers, we have the presence and power of God with us. So walking and living by faith is essential to our lives. The Bible tells us that the just shall live by faith. We are just, we have been declared righteous, so we must live and show this faith. So we're going to start reading in James chapter 2. James is a New Testament example of um, uh, where we talk about Rahab. And so she was a smack talker, but again, she backed it up every single time. James chapter 2 verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, right, you see your brother in need, they're lacking clothing, they're lacking daily food, they're lacking some necessity, and you say to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So if you've been a believer or been in church for any number of months or even years, you've probably heard this term, faith without works is dead. And so, as I said before, if it's our goal or the things that distinguish us is our ability to walk in faith and allow God to move supernaturally on our behalf, if we have dead faith, then that means our faith is not producing in this earth. And so really, what does it mean to be a Christian if we have dead faith? And so my goal in terms of the why of this message is to start out by telling you that we need to eliminate this plague of dead faith. So my first big idea that I want to share with you is that faith without works is dead, and dead faith can spread like the plague. And why is that? So as I was preparing for this message, I really wanted to see, you know, if, if this is the case, if this is true, is there scripture to back it up? Uh, one of the things Pastor Mike said is that I'm a teacher at the University of Florida. I'm a professor, associate professor in computer science. At least I am uh, for this semester. We'll see about next semester. Um, I am full time here at Greenhouse now. And so the idea is that I do like to teach. And so, of course, if I'm preparing this message, I'm going to dig very deeply in the scripture and everything that I can find to get my point across. So faith without works is dead, and dead faith will spread like the plague. So one of the things I had to look up is, like, why is that the case? And so I looked up this idea of a subconscious mind. How many people have heard the term subconscious mind? Raise your hand. Okay, most of us. Our subconscious mind, uh, the definition is it's of or concerning the part of the mind of which one is not fully aware, but which influences one's actions and feelings. So the part of our mind that we're not fully aware of, but it influences our actions and our feelings. And so how does that relate to our faith, to faith without works being dead and dead faith spreading like the plague? Well, as a believer, if I have dead faith or unbelief in one area, it can cause me to have dead faith and unbelief in another area. I could be believing God 
um, according to the perfect plan in scripture for, say, my children. I could be quoting scripture. I could be praying for them. I could do all the things that a believer that I'm supposed to do, that the Bible tells us to do, to execute our faith and to make sure that we get from God the things that we want and perfectly fine in that area. But I could have another area, or it could be common for me to say things that don't come to pass. Sometimes we can talk, even in church or after a service, we can hear about somebody's problems or some challenges they're having, and we say a term like, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm believing God with you. I'm standing with you. But at the same time, we say that and take no action. There's no intention, there's no, you know, I, I, don't get up, I don't get home and write their name down and put their name on the wall and pray for that individual. I don't specifically call out their situation. We just say things often that we have no intention of completing. And so what we're doing is that we begin to program our subconscious mind with these inactions. And so even though I'm going after something with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my intention in one area, I've already trained myself that I'm not going to do right, that I'm not going to execute on the words that I say. And so in some ways, we say things with no belief. We say things with no conviction. And if I'm saying things with no conviction in one area, again, that will spread like the plague in other areas. And so here's a few examples, of course. So let's uh, first let's take, take a look at Jesus. He um, showed this uh, pretty well in Matthew chapter 13. We know the story about what Jesus talks about happened when a prophet visits his own hometown. He says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. He went to his hometown after doing mighty works in other places, but he went to his hometown and he could not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. He could not do mighty works there because of their dead faith. And so since this area, you know, is where Jesus grew up, you probably had people in the, in the town that say, hey, that's Jesus. Didn't he uh, play soccer with my son in third grade? He wasn't that good either, you know. Or oh, that's Jesus. Oh, he grew up and he sung in the school play. School play. I don't think he really can sing, you know. Or oh, that's Jesus. Uh, isn't his mother the Mary and his dad Joseph the carpenter? You know, didn't I support them with a with a contract? And now he's here to pray for me. You know, so many people saw Jesus as this boy that grew up in their town as a regular individual, just like everybody else. So subconsciously, they're thinking about this man who is the son of God like he's no one or like he is as common as anyone else. But he is Jesus, who is the word of God made flesh. But because they thought about him as this commoner, as this average person, they, he was not able to do mighty works because of their unbelief. And so what I don't want to see happen is for us to have these common ideas about church and Christianity and what it means to be Christian. Uh, maybe some disappointments in our past that we begin to build on. And now I think that everything in my life should be common and and, and easy or, or, or hard and not spectacular, etc. But I want to be able to live by faith and my faith to produce in this earth. My second example has to do with Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 3, I'm sorry, 19. Hebrews 3, 19. It says, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief or dead faith. Who was the they that they're talking about here? They're talking about the children of Israel. So the children of Israel... Um, of course, we know they were in bondage uh, in Egypt. God brought them out of bondage through many mighty works. From the plagues that he put upon the Egyptians, from parting the Red Sea, God showed up in the lives of the children of Israel like never before. Right? They got to see things that our eyes would totally be amazed to see. But at the same time, the reason they did not enter the promised land is because they had dead faith. They had unbelief. But they didn't know that. Let's take a look at James chapter 1. We'll put this one on the screen. James chapter 1, verse 16. James chapter 1, verse 16. I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 1, verse 16. Remember, it's my first time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. First time quoting scriptures wrongly. But Joshua chapter 1, verse 16. Thank you for all those hands that went up. <laughs> of course, in Joshua chapter 1, the Bible, this is where Moses has died. Joshua, God appeals, appears to Joshua, and he says, uh, be strong and be courageous several times. He says, the book of the law, the word of God, should not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. If you do, you're going to have great success. 
God gave Joshua instruction. Joshua turned around and gave the Israelites that instruction. He says, hey, we're going to go and, and walk and, and take uh, the land that God has promised to us. We're going to go and take Jericho. And then in verse 16, we see their response. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Now, if I'm the leader of the children of Israel, or say, I'm standing here before you, and all of you said, all that you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. I'm going to feel really good about myself because I feel like we can go and take the land. But then if we read the very next verse, verse 17, the children of Israel, who we know, they complained about manna, they complained about the quail, uh, even though they, say, they saw all the wonderful works, they sinned in so many different ways. Uh, Moses even wanted to kill himself because they were murmuring and complaining against him. So in verse 17, it says, Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Just as we, the children of Israel, obeyed Moses in all things, so will we obey you. Now, if I'm Joshua, I'm feeling good at verse 16, but in verse 17, I'm getting mightily depressed, right? Because if you're going to do to me the same things that you did to Moses, we're in trouble. But the point I want to get you to is that in their mind, in their eyes, they thought they were perfect. In our eyes, we're serve, serving Moses, uh, or we're going to serve, we, we thought we were serving Moses in all things. We obeyed Moses in all things. So will we obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And so I'm like, yeah, right, you know. And so, but this is what happens, right? Where the children of Israel, they saw all the mighty works of God. They thought they were at one level, but in reality, they were somewhere else because of dead faith and unbelief. My final example is in James. We'll pick it up again in verse 2 and verse uh, James chapter 2 and verse 19 says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You believe that God is one, that God is the God. He is the most high God. He is one. But you know what? Even the demons believe that. Even the demons have knowledge that God is God. He's Elohim, the most high, and that Jesus is the son of God. In Mark chapter 1, verse 23, it says, uh, this is a story where Jesus wanted to cast an unclean spirit out of a man. And in verse 24, it says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? This is what the demons say to Jesus through the man. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so even the demons have knowledge that Jesus is Lord. Right, that Jesus is the Son of God, but at the same time, we would not even compare or even think to compare ourselves to them or compare our faith to theirs because we know that the demons cannot have faith, amen? And so my point here is that we have to eliminate dead faith. We don't have faith just because we know in our minds that Jesus is Lord. We don't have faith just because we know that God is God of all. We have faith when we believe, and that belief is translated into action. Because if I say that I really believe something, then my actions will follow, and will follow consistently. And I know we all miss it, we all slip, but at the same time, I'm going to get right back on my horse and go again. Let's continue. So uh, James chapter 221, we're continuing to read. My goal again with this first part is to get you to understand why this message is important. Faith without works is dead, and dead faith can spread like the plague. But our answer is seen in the life of Rahab. So verse 21 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. His belief was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Then verse 25 says, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. 
For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So we have a great example of how to eliminate dead faith if we can track and follow the life and experiences of Rahab. She's compared in the same breath as Abraham. So just as Abraham, our father, the father of faith, we look at him as an example. Now we can look at Rahab, who's counted and named in the genealogy of Jesus as a mother of faith. So really two points today. Two points. The first point is that we have to understand, in order to get to this and understand how to eliminate dead faith, we have to find or see that Scripture talks about two different kinds or expressions of faith. Scripture talks about two different kinds or expressions of faith. There is saving faith, right? Saving faith. And then there's that faith. James said this in James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? And so this is a rhetorical question that James is asking, not necessarily for us to say yes or no, to agree with or disagree with, but it's really challenging us to really think about this situation. Can a man say he have faith, say that he has faith, faith and does not have works, and can that faith save him? And so again, my proposal, two different types of faith, saving faith, and then that faith. What is that faith? That faith is the faith for the here and now. Saving faith is faith for salvation. It's faith for our eternity. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so faith for eternity means that I believe in the son of God. I believe what he did for me on the cross that um, as God wanted Abraham to walk before me and be perfect so that I can redeem mankind, no man could do it. And so God sent forth his son, clothed in man's flesh, born of a virgin. He walked the earth and was perfect without sin. He did everything right and he worked the works of God. He uh, went about doing good and healing all those that are oppressed by devils. But what did he do? He took upon himself the punishment that I deserve for sin. He went to hell for three days. He rose up, and now he's seated at the right hand of God. And so what we're saying is, for those of you that don't believe or that may not have a relationship with Jesus, is that the very first thing, all you have to do is believe. God gave his son. He did all these things so that if we believe in him, we do not perish, but we have eternal life. That's saving faith, and my only action is that I believe that story and what the Bible says about Jesus. But then now, as a believer, I have to accomplish things in the earth. You know, maybe I have to help meet others' needs. Maybe there's some needs in my life that I need met. Maybe there's some circumstances that are outside of my control, but at the same time, I need to... Um, bring restitution or, 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 or deliverance, or I need to help in some way. And so I have to have faith to be able to accomplish the things that God wants me to accomplish in this earth, right? So we have saving faith that is just predicated upon our belief, and then we have that faith or faith for the here and now, faith for history that causes God to move on our behalf. Romans chapter 10, verse 10 says, for with the heart man believes and is justified or declared righteous, for salvation, for eternity. But with the mouth, confession is made, you know, for the here and now, for soteria, for the things that we need to see happen in the earth, right? So there's two types of faith, saving faith and the faith for the here and now. And so now let's look again in the life of Rahab to see these things experienced. So now we're going to turn to Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1. Joshua chapter 2 verse 1. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And, when, and they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. He says, then she goes on to say, Hey, go, you know, chase after them, etc. But one thing that we see here is that Joshua sent two spies to Jericho. They came to Rahab, the prostitute, who is our target for discussion today, and she hid them. She hid them, and she lied to the king. 
Now, if we lie to those that are in authority nowadays, we might um, be tried for perjury. We might have to you know, get some lawyers, and hopefully those lawyers, depending on the situation, can either get us out of it or get us a very lenient sentence, but we know it's problematic to lie to those that are in authority. But in Rahab's day, she lied to the king. Right? The king was all power in that land. And so if the king wanted to come and have her beheaded, if the king wanted to come and take and kill her and all of her family for lying to him as an example, he certainly could have done that. So Rahab took an extreme risk by hiding these individuals and lying to the king. But let's continue to read in verse 8 to see why she did that. In verse 8 it says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. So she says to the two men, not necessarily knowing uh, what they were going to do in her house, she says to those two men, hey, your God has been doing some amazing things for you. He parted the Red Sea. Wow, that's amazing. He delivered these kings into your hand. Wow, that's amazing. All the stories that we read about that the children of Israel experienced, they were hearing about them, but now they get to see this army standing out in front of those walls, right? So the people's hearts are melting because they know what God is about to do. So let's pick it up in verse 11. In verse 11 it says, And as soon as we heard it, uh, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. So the first part of that sentence, she's saying, yes, we were afraid. Every man in the city is laid out depressed because they know they are about to be destroyed. But then if we look at the second part after that comma, there is no uh, indication that anyone in Jericho made these next statements except for Rahab. And we see a picture of faith where Rahab believes something differently and because she believes something differently that this God, the God of the Israelites was the supreme God, uh, the God Elohim, the most high God, that he was, had the power to deliver, to set free, he had the power to part the Red Sea and there was no standing against him. The second part of verse 11 says, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So in some ways, I like to see this as an Old Testament example of New Testament salvation, right? Rahab was the one, even though everyone in the city knew that they were about to be destroyed because God is so good. But she said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, right? I believe that your God is the one true God. And no matter what happens to me, I am going to stake the rest of my life on that belief, whether that means I get killed and the king comes in and slays my family, or whether that means there is a possibility that you and God and all his sovereignty takes me with you because I have faith to believe in the God of Israel. Amen? So for the Lord your God, he is good, amen, in the heavens and above the earth and on the earth beneath. Verse 12 says, now then, so she's making a deal. She's already lied to the king, so she's now 100% going after the God of Israel. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as, as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. And so basically, if we continue to read, we won't. Um, she cuts an agreement with the two spies. They say, hey, take this uh, red bandana, this red scarf, put it in your, uh, in your window. If we see this red scarf, when we come, we know that this is your house. We won't touch your house. You are your family. And uh, he told, the spies told Joshua, and they ensured that Rahab lived. And the significance of Rahab is that now she is part of the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right, without Rahab standing in faith, believing God, and taking that risk, Right? Who knows kind of what our story would be? And so my second point, or the second kind of big idea that I want to point you to, we'll put it on the screen, big idea number two. Faith without works is dead, we know that, but our works are the fruit and not the root of our belief. Faith without works is dead, but our works are the fruit and not the root of our belief. So the works are the outcome. Right? The works are 
the results. The root of our works is our belief. So the, our belief is the source of our works that apply to our faith. Amen. James chapter 2, we're going to read again in verse 15 as we get to this second point. James 2.15 says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And so my translation of that scripture for Rahab reads like this. If two spies come into your home needing protection, and you send them out saying, God be with you, and may your war on us be successful, without hiding them, and ensuring the king does not find them, what good is that, right? So what Rahab did, she applied works to her faith based on her belief, amen? She applied works to her faith based on her belief. And so we've all probably have situations or have had situations in our life where we live this out to perfection. And I'm going to well, perfection may be a strong word, but at the very least, we live this out and we're able to see the things God has promised for us. And so one example from my life is basically how I ended up standing here before you as the hub director or Sunday services director at Greenhouse. I could go back many years in terms of the unfolding of this story, but I'll start with when I met the lovely Dr. Lakeisha Williams, my wife, that's standing right here or sitting right here before you. First time. <laughs> So we met in a campus ministry uh, at Mississippi State University. Lakeisha had finished a bachelor's and master's at LSU, Louisiana State. She came to Mississippi State to pursue her PhD. I was in this campus ministry probably about a year before she came. I was president of the campus ministry. Uh, she joined the campus ministry. We both, both served in leadership, eventually got married. We've since been married for 16 years now, so a lot of uh, history together. Thank you, thank you. And so, we uh, serving in this campus ministry, then eventually this campus ministry decided to start a church in that local area. And so if you have a campus minister that now becomes pastor, you have the president of the campus ministry and other leaders that now begin to serve in leadership in the church. So a lot of ministry involvement throughout our early years in marriage. We then uh, end up moving to Jackson after I finished my PhD and um, we were connected to another church that was a kind of strong connection from the campus minister or the pastor in Starkville to the now pastor in Jackson, Mississippi, and we became leaders at that church. You know, so lots of involvement, lots of leadership. I had opportunities to preach on Sundays there as well. Uh, then we decided, you know what, it was time for us to move back to Starkville. We both, or at least I took a job at Mississippi State University as an assistant professor. And one of the challenges about being an assistant professor is that tenure process. And so the idea that you have to work, 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 research, teaching, service uh, to, to prove that you're good enough for promotion and tenure. Tenure basically means at a very high level is that you will never get fired. You have a permanent job unless you do something crazy or unless the world comes to an end. And so that's what academics fight for. They fight for tenure. But in that time, you know, me going after tenure, Lakeisha was in the same boat. We kind of not served as heavily in ministry. We were in leadership and had various roles at the church where we were attending. But at the same time, uh, we focused more on tenure than we did the ministry. And so we always had this heart or this desire to be involved in ministry. Uh, eventually, Lakeisha comes to the University of Florida. She gives a talk at the biomedical engineering department. Uh, they offer her a job. They invite me to give a talk in computer science. They offer me a job. And of course, we moved here to Gainesville in August of 2018 as associate professors in biomedical engineering and computer science. About a month after we got here, we started attending Greenhouse Church. The very first time we came, we heard Pastor Mike teach and just uh, got involved and immersed in this environment. I knew that this was the church for us. But for the first two years, we did nothing in the church. We, you know, of course, we say we have a heart for ministry. Our belief was that we have a desire to be in ministry, to serve others, to minister, to, to love, and to do all the things that we should do as believers, supporting our local church. We did nothing. So we did not join a microchurch. And we know at Greenhouse we believe in discipleship. And one of the ways we accomplish discipleship is through our microchurches. We did not join a serve team. And so we were bad Christians. We were bad members. So how many people are not in the microchurch, not in the serve team? Go ahead and slap your, slap your, slap your wrist there. No, I'm just kidding. 
But at the same time, based on what our belief was and how we felt God called us, we knew that we should be serving, we should be doing the things that make for um, discipleship, that makes for us showing how much we love God by loving people. And so as I was praying about these things, you know, I really wanted to join GSM the first year that it was offered, at least in this new format. But at the same time, I'm a full-time professor at the University of Florida. There's no way for me to attend the meeting, say, from 8 to 12 every morning, Monday through Thursday, and still do my job at UF. But what happened in 2020? COVID, right? Boo, bad COVID. But in some ways, I'm like, yay, COVID. (laughs) And sorry, you know, if that offends anyone, but for me, it was an opportunity for me to attend GSM because they moved the program 100% online. We basically, as as, as faculty members at the University of Florida, we moved to 100% online as well. So I could be a full-time faculty member teaching, doing research, and everything that I needed to do online, as well as attending GSM full-time because I really knew that God would use this uh, Greenhouse School of Ministry to help me to get involved in ministry here at Greenhouse. And so what did I do? I had opportunities early on to meet with Eric Denius. He's uh, Pastor Eric. He's uh, the director of GSM. Uh, I had times to meet with uh, Pastor Mike and uh, others in leadership here. I had a great cohort Right, a great cohort. So one of the things that GSM uh, provides is a cohort of uh, individuals that you go through GSM with, so maybe three to five people, and you have a cohort leader. Our cohort leader was Elder Craig. He was great. He kind of mentored us throughout this entire process. We had Wilson in my cohort, who was actually in Nairobi, Kenya. And so we had our meetings at 6.30 a.m. every single Sunday. And my new brother in Christ, I see him back there smiling, Josh Schmidt. He was my other cohort member, and again, we grew close. But during all this time, I was able to tell them between the leaders that came to speak to us, our cohort members, about this transition that God has placed on my heart. And so my faith was believing God to be back involved in ministry. Finally had a chance to sit down with Robbie, Pastor Robbie, our executive pastor for the first time, and he described this job to me, right? And as soon as he heard it, you know, it was, it was like something clicked in my mind. I went home and told Lakeisha about this job, and as soon as she heard it, she said yes. We both said yes, even though we didn't necessarily tell uh, Pastor Robbie at the time. And so we worked through this relatively long interview process. We know that if you work uh, as an associate professor at the University of Florida, which is uh, almost a billion dollars in research dollars, so it's a huge research enterprise, versus working at a local church, the pay scale for both of those enterprises will be a bit different because we steward our money really well, as Pastor Mike said earlier, and we like to give to missions and to the poor and do all the things that a church should do, but you won't necessarily come here. You don't choose to come here because you want to get rich in terms of your salary. So it means taking a pay cut. I had a motorcycle for the last, you know, several motorcycles for the last, I don't know how many years, since 2007. Somebody do the math. I sold my motorcycle, you know, so that was hurting. Uh, that, that, you know, took a lot for me to do. That was a big sacrifice. But if you think about all these things, my faith or my belief was that God wanted me to serve in ministry. God wanted to give me an opportunity on November 28th, 2021, to share the gospel with all of you from the stage at Greenhouse. And in order for me to do that, I had to put some works to my faith. And that means joining GSM, that means telling my story to others, that means getting feedback, uh, talking with my wife about it. All these different things were different seeds that I had to sow as my works to what I believed in my heart. Amen? And so works are not the root, but the fruit of our belief. And my work was to join GSM. And again, I praise God for this opportunity to stand here before you. And so the final point And really the most important point, as we're talking about Rahab and that faith without works is dead, is that the root of our righteousness is our belief in Jesus. The root of our righteousness all focuses on Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for that. So John chapter 6, verse 27. John chapter 6, verse 27. We'll put it on the screen. If we're going to work at anything... If I have to be busy about anything, this scripture tells us what we need to be busy about. John 6, 27 says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. 
So if I'm going to work at anything, I'm going to work for not, not anything natural necessarily, but I'm going to work for those things that endure to eternal life. Verse 28, then they said to him, uh, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So if I'm going to work at anything, I am going to work on my belief my belief and my focus on Jesus and what he said in his word. Now, we can't talk about faith without going to Hebrews 11 and hearing about the hall of faith or the hall of fame as it pertains to faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received a good report or a good commendation. So by faith, all these people that we can talk about in Hebrews 11, my challenge to you is that you read that today, the entirety of Hebrews chapter 11, but we're going to skip down to verse 31 and pick it up with Rahab, who we're talking about today. By faith, in Hebrews 11:31, it says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. Through faith they enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. And before I continue here, this is like, this is it for us. You know, this is it. This is what's available to us now as believers, because if they did it in the, in the times of old, we can do it even more here because we have the Lord and Savior Jesus and the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Amen. So I'm going to read that again. Verse 33 says, who through faith they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. They sold their motorcycles. Oh, wait. Is that? That's not up there. Right. Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended or praised through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. Even though they did all those great things, they did not receive what was promised. Verse 40 says, since God had provided something better for us. God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And then Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 says, we're talking about these great people of faith, Rahab included, but the key here is now to focus on Jesus. Verse, 12, verse 1 says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these heroes of faith, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto, hmm, looking unto, Jesus. looking unto everyone. Jesus. One more time. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter, the author and the finisher, the alpha and the omega of our faith who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising all the shame that came and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what we have, a better promise even than Rahab. We have a better Holy Spirit. We have a better Savior, a better Messiah that is coming to this earth, and now we can put our trust in him. And so if we're going to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we need to look at his life to ensure that there is no dead faith in us. We need to do what Jesus did. So Luke chapter 22, verse 39, we'll look at a few examples. And I need you to help me. So everybody get ready, clear your throats. Luke chapter 22, verse 39, it says, and he came out and went, read that next statement. 
And he came out and went. Read those next four words. As was his custom. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And what did he do there? He prayed. What did he often do? What did he often do, as was his custom, going to the mountain? He went up to the mountain and prayed. Jude uh, 120 talks about, hey, you beloved, I want you to build up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit keeping yourself in the love of God. And so we have to follow Jesus' example, the author and finisher of our faith. If he spent time regularly to pray, we have to spend time regularly praying. Mark chapter 10 verse 1 says, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom, he taught them. Right? He taught them. And I'm not saying everybody has to come on stage and teach a message on a Sunday morning, but if we're in a micro church, if we have community outside of this place, the things that I read, the things that I pray about, the things that God speaks to me, the things that, uh, the instruction that I receive, I can begin to teach and share with others. Because when I share my faith, when I share my beliefs with others, the things that I'm learning in the word of God, it helps to solidify them in my own mind. So looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, he prayed, he went to the mountain and prayed, and he taught others. Third point, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, what he did on a regular basis, he went to greenhouse on the Sabbath day. Right? He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And so, of course, right now I'm preaching to the choir because you are all here, but our custom should be to attend church on Sunday. If you're watching online, that's great. It's to watch faithfully online on Sunday. Right? As the Sunday services director, I want to make sure that we do everything in our uh, possession and our power to make these services great. And we want you to attend service on Sunday because when we come together, we lift our hands in worship and we hear the word of God. Our faith and our belief is built up. And so the things that Pastor Mike or any one of our leaders say from this stage, we take, we receive, and we act on it. Why? Because if we begin to show that we believe in one area and we move in that area, then we have faith that is alive in that area and every one of the rest. Amen? Amen. As was his custom. And that's really, that's really it. I mean, that's really the, the, the point of this message is to really look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of his faith. If we go back to the story of Rahab, she saw that God was the God. She heard all the stories. She believed the stories. She took those stories into her heart. And because she believed, she lied to the king and helped rescue or uh, uh, free the spies so that they can come in and do what they needed to do. So Rahab just believed in the possibility. And that's really all God is asking us. If we read a scripture, if you hear something from the stage, it's not that you have to have some big faith, as Pastor Mike talked about weeks ago, but all we have to do is believe in the possibility that it is so. Amen? And so for the things that God has talked to, to us about, and I'm going to put a few things up, uh, application areas up, and let's go ahead and put all of them on the screen if you don't mind. Uh, some areas of application. So just like this is my first time teaching from the stage at Greenhouse, challenges in terms of preparation and nervousness and all of that, I want you to have some first times in your life. First times not because I say so, first times because that's what we believe the word of God says. So I am going to invite somebody to church. We have cards out there in the lobby, or even if you're watching online, you can invite somebody to watch online with you in your couch. Um, you can send the stream out to others. You can be a digital missionary, as we say, because we know the word of God will change and impact lives. So I'm going to invite people to church. I'm going to pray for someone. It's easy to do that in here, but if I really believe, as Romans 1.16 says, is that I'm not ashamed of the power of God uh, for it's, uh, it's the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek, something like that. I'm going to be able to, or, or not mind praying for people in, pub, in public or even in publics when I go to the grocery store. Right? If I see somebody with a need, you know, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power to go about doing good and healing all those that are oppressed, I am anointed the exact same way. And me stepping out in faith is me showing that belief. 
uh, it says, say what the scripture says about your children. So one example, often we worry and are concerned about our children. But we know that in Isaiah it says, great shall, the peace, great shall be the peace of your children. So anytime I'm tempted to worry or be anxious about my children, I'm going to open the Bible and quote that scripture because I am not going to worry anymore. I'm going to step out in faith and my action is going to, for me to be praying for my children. I'm going to step out on anything that God has called me to do. And maybe that's a baby step. Maybe it's a Google search. Right? Maybe starting a business or uh, becoming a realtor. Anything that God has called you to do this week, take some action. If you truly believe it, if not, then throw it away and find something else that God has called you to do. But if you really want to see it happen in your life, you have to step out. Enroll in what DT is up there is discipleship training. We know God has told us, he's commanded us to go into all the earth and make disciples of all creation. And if I'm going to make disciples, I have to be equipped to make disciples. So Pastor Matt, discipleship training, you can see him to sign up. Uh, GSM, the same thing, Greenhouse School of Ministry. And finally, attend a microchurch, right? Become and get in community with others so that you can hear the word of God, you can teach the word of God, you can pray for others, you can exercise your faith in a very uh, controlled and contained environment where you'll be edified, lift up, you know, challenged and everything else. But these are my application steps for you. And as we close, I'm going to read this final story. I'm going to tell you this final story of Dr. Sol Cruz. He's a Mexican activist, psychologist, missionary, innovator. He's won awards for agriculture innovation. He's gotten water to the poor. And he's done many great things. But as a boy of 13, he read the book Basic Christianity by John Stott. John Stott, he's this renowned theologian, this intellectual of the Christian faith. He heard that John Stott, Dr. Stott, was going to be in Mexico City. And since he read his book, he said, whatever I need to do to get there, I am going to get there. And for him, that meant walking 50 miles from wherever he was to Mexico City to see Dr. Stott. He came there, he heard him preach or teach or whatever it was, but then at the end of the event, he waited around so that he could have an opportunity to talk to him. He told him his story. Dr. Stott took an interest in the, in the boy at the time, Dr. Cruz, that's 13 at the time. He asked him, you know, how did he get, he get there? And he talked about that he walked, you know, so many miles. And Dr. Stott asked him to stay with him that night. So he stayed with him. The boy was just amazed that he took such an interest in him. They talked. Uh, they fellowshiped. He ended up becoming his mentor. And uh, they planted uh, churches or community centers together. But that night, one of the most amazing things about this story, according to Sol Cruz, the young boy, was that Dr. Stott, as he woke up that next morning, he was gone because he had another event to get to, but he had cleaned his shoes. He spit-signed his shoes for him. And so the point there is that he took time and he took interest in the boy. He cleaned his shoes. He welcomed him into, into his hostel that he was staying at last night. But the key is the difference between the proclamation of the gospel and the demonstration of the gospel. Cruz heard and believed the gospel through his books, John Stott's books, but he saw and understood the gospel through his demonstration. And so that's the kind of believers that we here at Greenhouse, we want to be. We want to demonstrate our faith through our actions. Amen.